Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. Okay, are you there? Can you see me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, great. I can hear you. I cannot see you yet. Okay. I'll figure this out. You can't see me? No. You can't. Oh, wait. Is that it? (laughs) There we go. Yeah, that did it. I didn't know it started off like that. All right, here we go. (laughs) It's so good to see you. I'm very excited to chat. Hi. Um, (laughs) Before we get started, I do have to uh, get through a quick ad read, uh, the business of the podcast. I'm I'm sure you understand. I apologize, though. Totally fine. This week's episode of 39-Minute Conversations is not technically presented by the inexorable and unfortunate link between exercise and mental health. I mean, honestly, isn't that some bullshit? I was listening to another podcast, which I will not name here because I don't like my audience to know that other podcasts exist, and one of the hosts told a story about how running daily is the only way he keeps his depression and anxiety under control. And how messed up is that? If we want to feel good physically and mentally, we have to, like, sweat? dumb, terrible system. And it's something that I've been feeling lately. In the last few weeks, I had a deadline for a script that needed to get finished. And when that happens, I do what every normal person does. I sit at my computer for 10 to 12 hours a day while eating the quickest and healthiest things I can find. And I was feeling it physically, sure, but mentally, even worse. And I know what you're going to say. Humans evolved to be hunters and gatherers. Our bodies were designed to move or we didn't eat but that's not who we are anymore. I don't have to chase down a wild grilled cheese sandwich. Cookies come in bags. If I press a button on my phone, someone brings me nachos. Too good to be true? (laughs) Apparently so, because by the time I turned that script in, I felt gross, anxious, depressed. In the last couple days, started working out again, yoga, going for runs, eating salads, drinking water. Ugh. And I feel better and that sucks. Knowing working out makes you feel better mentally and physically is something you can never unknow. I am cursed with this knowledge and now so are you. And then we pause. <laughs> and then we pause here to uh to let the people know the ads ended and then hello, I'm Brian T Arnold and this is 39 minute conversations, a podcast about reconnecting with old friends and making new ones, but I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I will not be paying for Zoom Pro. My guest today is a wildly talented actress you may have seen in Made for Love, Little America, or honestly, pretty much name a show and she's been on it. Or maybe you saw her on Broadway in Chinglish, or maybe you've heard one of the 50 plus audiobooks she's narrated. Currently, you can see her as Detective Isabel Chang on Law and Order Organized Crime. Folks, please welcome Angela Lim. <laughs> that was amazing. Oh, thank good you. Thank job. you. That's honestly, that's we can be done. Like just hearing good job is <laughs> All that I all that I need. I didn't know you hated working out so much. <laughs> do do people actually like it? You have an exercise bike behind you. Like I do, and it's the bane of my existence. I hate that I own it. I only have it because I because I don't to go to the gym you? anymore. To mock me. <laughs> it sits in the corner and mocks me when I don't use it. <laughs> it's amazing. I think my husband will take that off your hands if you want it to give it some. No, I'm I use it. I do this thing that I've done. You since, do use it. I do use it. I've done this thing um, since college uh, where I would, I will, I get bored when I exercise because I do hate it. Um, yeah. 
And so I play a video game while I'm on the bike just to like give myself something else to do and like not think about like, oh, shoot, I've been biking for an hour because I played a game for an hour. On what? Switch? Uh, I, have a, I have a PlayStation 4. Um, oh, you full on with the TV. You play, oh, yeah. Oh, so that TV screen over there is what oh, you yeah. play. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have two TVs because uh, my roommate moved out and left one. So I was like, I'm not going to give it away. I will put television on one and a video game on the other and live my best damn life. I know. I know. <laughs> you 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 cracked the whole code. I'm trying. That's literally to. the code. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Thank you, Angela. Yes. We have known each other a few years now, but it has yeah. until today. It's been a while since we uh, connected. Yeah. For background for the listeners, we met in church, hanging out at the at the coffee station outside. And that's where we. Oh, you remember friends. where? Oh, okay. oh, I mean, we did. I mean, we were always. I was always at the coffee station, so that's where okay. I talked to people. I was always working <laughs> at the coffee station. Um, yes. So we we became friends. We became friends with you and your wonderful husband. Uh, and over time, uh, I learned you were an actress, uh, but I don't think I realized how much you'd already done, how accomplished you already were, how freaking good you were at it, because like. <gasps> I was at that point where I was like a struggling writer. So I assume everyone around me is also just like, oh, we're all trying to get into this. This is a hard business, right, guys? Uh, but then I, you know, got to, I've seen so much of your stuff now and I read of so much about you and like, you were just this like normal, chill person at church and like, oh no, this is a real actress who's just I'm hanging out with. So I'm Are excited to catch up. most actors you meet like douchebags? Is that why? Like most working actors you meet like totally? Um, not, I mean, I haven't met, I mean, I, no, no, I will say this. No, I, I think, I think not. But at that point in my life, um, I didn't know a ton of like working actors who were like comfortable in it and successful enough uh, in it that that was just like the only thing they did what they were known for so yeah. it was like I think you might have been my first experience of Shut one up. of my first experiences of like <laughs> this is a working actor who I didn't know was a working actor and just like oh she's just a she's just a person <laughs> I'm not a diva you weren't a diva <laughs> that's what I'm trying to get at is that you were you were surprisingly not a diva even though you have earned the right to be a diva Oh my God. No, I have not. <laughs> Nobody has earned any rights to be divas. Like, no, but I, I don't believe that at all. I don't kowtow to the idea of celebrities like be misbehaving on set um, just because they're a celebrity. Agree to disagree. As soon as I have, <laughs> as soon as I have any level of power, I will become uh, an absolute monster who throws coffee on everyone around me. Uh, Watch out! It's the Me Too movement, dude. Right after you can't do that. It's stuff just anymore. coffee. I'm not. <laughs> it's a it's abuse. It's that's it's not it's nothing more than just physical and mental oh anguish God. I'm causing. Yeah. Nothing else. Nothing. Nothing untoward. Just being a general right. asshole. Do you? <laughs> I'm excited to have you on here. Thank you for yes. doing this. Um. Uh, I started this podcast uh, during the pandemic because it's kind of turned me into a shut-in in this time. I still haven't fully emerged from my cocoon, but yeah. I, I wanted a reason to catch up with people I haven't seen in a long time, such as yourself. So I do want to start with where I start with most guests. How have these last few years been for you? How did you stay sane during these times? Mm. Um, how did maybe this time change you? If it did. 
You know, when COVID hit, I actually, it sounds horrible to say because I know a lot of um, people lost uh, family members during COVID, but it actually was a a good time of like a, a big reset button for me. Because mm-hmm. I think at that time I was like go, go, going, like I was so focused on the career that it was stealing my joy. And I needed to just chill and not do it for a while and like focus on my life as it mm-hmm. was my husband my you know just like doing fixes on the apartment that i wanted to to renovate and whatever it was just like i needed to refocus mm. and it was a good time to spiritually refocus a good time to like realize how far off track i had gotten and how like this not destructive i don't know it was just um it wasn't it, it wasn't going to be a space, a mental space that I could, I could stay sane in mm-hmm. for too much longer. Mm-hmm. So it was good for me in that way. Cause like everything stopped. So no one was working. So you couldn't be like, I should be working right now. Cause no one was working. Mm-hmm. So I got to chill, relax. And then I think that was a time when I, I talked to you before about um, starting to do Bible study with my brother and getting getting back to the basics of what the gospel is and not what all this other, this, the nonsense that you see in in the media about what Christianity is Mm -hmm. and get to the real basics, the core of what it is. And that centered me and going on that journey, I think was the best thing that I did during COVID and everything else. Now, everything feels different. The way I look at the business, the way I look at my career feels different because of that reset button. That's yeah. a really positive way to to look at it because it's yeah. something that, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like I was very up and down during COVID of like, um, you know, oh, at this point I'm going to just be, uh, oh, this is only going to be a few weeks. So let me like get, get right. me like really focus on like getting myself together. And then it was like, okay, well now it's going to be like a year until the vaccine. So like now I have, now I know when we're getting out of this and it's going to be totally normal again. So I I have this goal. And then that goalpost kept moving and moving. And I, I think I went through different variations of, well, nothing matters anymore. Uh, And then, (laughs) and then like, nope, I gotta see, I gotta be out in the world at some point. So let me take care of myself. So I've, I've kind of, you went inward spiritually and I was more, uh, looking out my blinds, wondering when, <laughs> when I can go the back apocalypse. outside. Yeah. 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 Did you order your groceries? Like you didn't leave at all. For a little while I did. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, which is, I recognize as sort of a privileged thing to be able to do. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, I, I was so, I, I have such a, I have a lot of anxiety as a, just a human being. Um, so this time period, uh just really amplified that in a lot of ways so i i always felt guilty when i was like sending somebody else outside to their imminent doom um uh but you know they were already shopping so i was hoping that i my my shopping trip wouldn't be the thing that killed them but i was i was terrible i was i am such a health anxious person that even when i don't see anybody for two weeks i'll be like I'll cough once and be like, what is happening? What is this? That's still, Aww. that's still who I am. Yeah. 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 Do you, do you go to therapy for that? I do. I do. Uh, I am and in therapy. Has that helped? Um, sometimes I think it has. And then sometimes I will still spiral out of control. And I think that's a normal, hopefully a normal thing or else my therapist isn't very good. Um, <laughs> I think, but I think that's true of everybody. Cause it's, I kind yeah. of got that lesson of, 
Um, if like you can't control the thought that comes in your head, you can just control what you do at it with it. Yeah. So yeah. like I've gotten better at knowing what to do with it, but it is not a hundred. I'm not batting a hundred percent. You know. I get you. Yeah, we are weekdays. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's get into you. You start at the beginning of, of your life, your career, you and your family. You immigrated from Singapore when you were a kid. <laughs> oh, we're uh, starting back there. Uh, well, well, yeah, we're going to go all the way from the beginning. Yeah, okay. um, you know, kids are resilient, but I still, that you were young, you were a kid. I can't imagine that was easy to do, a new uh, country, a new culture, a new language. What do you remember about, about that time and what that oh. was like? So Singapore actually is very, I don't know what it is like now, but when I was a kid, it was very regimented. Like a lot of the ways that they, they did school was kind of like communist China. Mm. <laughs> As in like you, you, you line up in rows, you, every time you, the teacher asks you questions, you stand up and you call it out with your loudest, you know, voice. And it was very, they, they were still doing corporal punishment when mm. I was a kid, like a lot of switches and teachers would put their hands on you. Like I got slapped several times. And oh, like, wow. It was very interesting back then in the, in the, uh, in, in Singapore, but it is not that way now. I can guarantee because <laughs> Singapore now is so westernized. Mm -hmm. But when I came here, I just remember, I remember being in third grade and, um, Mrs. Castro third grade class. She asked me a question. I raised my hand and because I was used to Singapore, I remember I stood up. And I was like, shouted out my answer. And I sat down and her face, I still remember to this day was like, what just happened to me? Like, what, what did I just experience? She had no idea what was going on. But because also Singapore, like everything they teach there is so much more advanced here. Like in first grade, I already had my multiplication tables memorized and they were just learning their multiplications in third grade. Oh, that is my husband. Cause he's the only one that can get through my do not disturb but uh <laughs> but um he um they so because uh i forgot my train of thought what is it uh there were multiplication tables oh, you oh, were ahead because mom okay i was ahead i was like the first student of the month oh hey i know my first and i you know i was getting a's when i got to america where well, I guess in Singapore I was too. In Singapore they have this thing which I don't agree with, but they used to like rank the kids. Mm. So I was new. I was like number one in the class or number three in the class, and I was like, mm -hmm. how must it feel to be number twenty-five? You know, that's sure. awful. So I don't agree with that anymore. But I always felt good about myself. <laughs> I remember my senior year of high school. I was like, I was a good student, but I was also. No. So I, but I was like, not, I was like top five of the class, whatever. So I was like other people, they'd start doing students of the month and like this student would like, and I was like, always like second or third place. And I was like, oh, it's eventually going to be me. And then I started doing like the morning show of the, of the campus. And I started, and I did all these like, you know, terrible, weird characters. And, and I was trying out being funny and I never appeared on that list again. I'm like, going to be student of the month. <laughs> They're like, not that clown. <laughs> um, you say, you said in an interview that I read that you were a kind of shy, isolated kid. And so your parents put you in a theater camp to get you out of your shell and to help you make friends. 
if your parents knew that that would turn you into an actress, do you think they would have picked a different kind of camp? Do you think they would have gone with science camp or model you in or something like that? 100%, or like speech and debate or something. No, but I remember coming to America. I was so, I was so shy because everything was just different. Americans are just like louder and bigger and everything's mm -hmm. just crazier, right? And um, yeah, I, I think that that was the first hook because I remember I didn't know I could sing mm. until theater camp. And they gave me a solo, Where is Love, from Oliver, Oliver, the musical. Okay. And I had to sing it. They, it, was, it was a play that they, they cobbled together. We, there were bats in it. I don't know what was going on. But I just, I remember, I still remember looking into the lights and singing that song and having all these parents come up to me afterwards and say, like, you, see, you have such a beautiful voice. And I don't know if I did, but because they said it, mm. it was the first time I ever got sort of praise because Chinese parents don't give praise. So when coming to America, hearing praise for the first time, it was like, is this who I am? <laughs> you know, am I an actor? Mm -hmm. And I was like nine years old, but I don't know that that was exactly when the bug hit. I think I knew, I think my parents still also kind of raised like an academic person. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't honestly until I took until middle school, I started doing theater outside at San Jose Children's Musical Theater. Um, and I, I don't know, I think then a, a teacher told me I had to meet, I had to go to a performing arts high school. Hmm. And a summer, a, I went to a drama summer camp. I was not going to go to this performing arts high school. And the summer before high school, I took his class and he was like, you should be an actor. You should come to this performing arts high school. Oh, wow. And I don't know what possessed my parents to allow me to go. Cause they honestly, even though they've been supportive in different ways in their way, ever since I graduated Carnegie Mellon, they have, my mom in particular was always like, you should quit. You should quit acting. Mm -hmm. You know, even after I was on Broadway, like they were like, you should quit. <laughs> You should quit <laughs> because it just was never consistent. And yeah. They weren't used to this, like, you know, non-consistent lifestyle. And I, I will say, I think it's only in the last maybe five years that my parents stopped telling me to quit. I was going <gasps> to ask. That was going to be my next question if they ever stopped. <laughs> you you okay. made a deal with your parents. I read that if that they would let you major in drama if... You only if you got into Carnegie Mellon because that's where yeah. Ming-Na uh, Ming Wen Ming went to school. Yeah. Um, so of course you did get in. So, yeah. and at that school, you're studying alongside Leslie Odom Jr., Josh Gad, Josh Groban. Um, did you have a sense at that time of the potential and the talent that you and your classmates had that the, maybe that this future was ahead of you guys? Yeah, especially with um, those three, I think Josh Josh Groban had already been on Rosie O'Donnell before he got to college. Like oh, wow. he, okay. We were watching him. He had already sung at a Grammys rehearsal with Celine Dion. He was showing us all those tapes in our freshman dorm, and like midway through, I think the first or second semester, he signed that contract with, you know. Um, David Foster. So it was just like, oh, 
he's gonna be a star mm -hmm. <laughs> he actually dedicated his first album to us which is very oh, wow. sweet that's nice mm -hmm. it was very very sweet and um with leslie he'd already been on broadway before he even got to college he was already in rent you yeah. know so it's like you just knew and also just the myriad of talent that we had there are so many talented people at carnegie that that whose name you don't know or who sure. quit even before they graduated mm -hmm. like i remember this girl lisa in our class she left and she had the most insane voice insane voice but there are pressures in this business mm -hmm. that are so they challenge your mental uh, strength. Mm -hmm. And I just think that there are so many talented people in the world that cannot endure the business aspect, the rejection aspect of this, mm -hmm. of this crazy world, you know, and I'm glad that they discovered that early on before they came out into the world and realized they couldn't take it, you know, but yeah. a lot of people, gosh, some of my favorite actors in my class, I, I can think of a few of them that were the best the best actresses and actors in my class are no longer in the business. Yeah, it's, it's because it's really, that hard. It's that hard. And it's just, yeah, it is this crazy thing of talent is only, obviously it's an important factor, but it is not the only factor. It is everybody, no matter how good you are, is going to hear a no and is going to struggle uh, at first unless, you know, your, you know, your parents are A-list superstars or something, you might get an easier chance. Um, but up until, but other than that, it's fortitude. And it's like, mm -hmm. can I, how many times can I hear no and still do this? So it's a tough, tough business. And yeah, it's not for everybody. And hopefully they find, you know, happiness doing something else that doesn't have this level of uh, rejection and, and, uh yeah complete instability yeah and they have and they have there's so many one of my friends is like a instantly the minute she graduated she went to harvard law mm -hmm. and she's doing very well and it's like yeah i'm seeing everybody find their own um version of happiness mm -hmm. and that's i think the most important thing because this you know this business is not the be on the end all and it's only if like I think it's only for knuckleheads like us that it's just like this That's is too the only thing. Yeah. yeah, this is yeah, exactly right. And and for me, honestly, sometimes I think like I don't have the courage to quit mm -hmm. because I have I I you know kind of bet on this horse and I I almost wonder if it's like you know ever since I was a kid I always wanted to like prove my parents wrong mm. or if my parents had a criticism about me as an actor i wanted to prove them wrong like i was so determined i would go to like say i found out that they had like youth uh, youth uh classes acting classes at the american conservatory theater in in san francisco where denzel washington went to and, and at benning and i was just like i want to go there i want to take classes i'm going to get into you know these like carnegie mellon actually was my like dream school so like mm -hmm. i wanted to get do all these steps and i I pursued it. I even got myself an agent in from San Francisco when I was there. And, you know, God love my parents for supporting all of that. They didn't mm -hmm. have to. They didn't have to. And it's weird. I haven't asked them to, to this day, like, why did you keep letting me, even mm -hmm. though you didn't want me <laughs> to pursue it? They wanted me to be a doctor so badly. It's crazy. I think it's the love of parents. I'm just going to chalk it off to that. You know, yeah. you just want to see your so. kids happy.
And I, I'm going to use that opportunity, I think, to, I was going to talk about some other stuff, but this feels like a good way to get into it. Um, Little America, your episode of Little America is sort of about that feeling. It's about, it's about a mother who is feeling, you know, an immigrant mother who's having, feeling her kids are growing distant from her and she wants the best for them, but she also wants to hold on to them. And it is such a powerful performance my eyes were it's such a great episode my eyes were like watering the whole time it was the first time I I think it was the first time I'd watched something that you were in since we'd known each other and I was just like shit she's so good she's like and she's (laughs) so good at this um I mean and it's not just me your performance was named by Variety as one of the top 30 most memorable tv moments of the 2020 Emmy eligibility season um (laughs) But what was it like being part of a story that not only is, you know, the writer-director um, Zi Chun's story, uh, but is also like drawn from your family? I'm not I'm sure at least your performance-wise has to be drawn from your upbringing and your family. What was that like doing something so personal? I, that to this day, that is probably the most rewarding and challenging experience of my life. And even just that story, what it did for me, I met Z's mother, who this whole story was based on. And reading this, first of all, I was like, man, there is so much life that our parents lived Mm -hmm. before they even had us that created who they are. And when I see like my parents worrying about me all the time and being, my mom and I actually had a really difficult um, relationship when I was before college, like when I was at home and we were very contentious with each other and she was very hard on me. And I never understood that. We butt heads a lot. I didn't understand my mother because I was young and I didn't care to understand her. She was just Mm -hmm. this authority figure, right? But when this the story made me realize that what are the things that made my mother that way? What are the fears that she went through? Because in the story, um, I guess I'll well should I should I? Spoiler? I mean, it's, it's been out for, it's been out for three years. So for spoilers for it, yeah. I know spoiler, but like you know, she was she basically uh, didn't have a family of her own because she was uh, shipped from family to family. Like she just never she was an orphan. Mm-hmm for a long time and to to understand that that's why she held on to her children mm-hmm. so tightly mm-hmm. because she never had a family of her own and this was all the family that she had in the world mm-hmm. i mean that is the motivation right and it made me think about my parents and like what made them the way that they are what made it so hard for my mom and i to and to to communicate when we were young when i was younger and it honestly made my made me appreciate my mother in a different light, the sacrifices, because I started thinking about the sacrifices, what it was like to come here, mm-hmm. to be a very successful artist in Singapore, to come mm-hmm. here and have nothing. She had to work two jobs, like working in warehouses, like mm-hmm. she just couldn't do what she was. She was about to be promoted to the vice president or vice principal of the 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 uh, art uh art school the art university there of the Mm -hmm. major art university there and she did she gave up all of that to come here so that i could have a father because my dad was here and pursuing his dreams here in Mm -hmm. america and it's just amazing what she gave up and then what she sacrificed and how she wanted to see us like be successful and yeah i even to see my mother today like everything she survived even through covid like 
she had an art studio and it had to close because of COVID. Mm. And at in her late 60s, she started being a YouTube star. So now what? literally she puts her art on YouTube and now she has like all these subscribers. She gets paid by YouTube to put up her videos. I was like, are you kidding me right that's, now? That's amazing. What's your mom's YouTube? And so people can go Cindy check it out. Cindy Art Studio. Cindy what is Art that? Studio. Cindy Art Cindy Studio. Cindy Art Studio. Like Cindy the name, Art Studio. Got it. She does the most amazing stuff there. And I'm just so proud of her. That's amazing. But yeah, yeah. In addition to, I'm sure, it's amazing, first of all, that that role really kind of even made you rethink and think about your relationship with your mom. But at yeah. the same time, you know, you're playing uh, a real person. You're playing the writer-director's mom. You've met, you got to meet her. How did it, did you feel, I guess, how much pressure was that to like, I need to get this story right? I need to get this performance right? Or did it, or were you given more freedom to like, make it yours like how how was that process like i think that's what i really loved about because i was so intimidated um by this whole role mm-hmm. the whole time i was auditioning for it i was like i'm not gonna get this why am i doing this why you know i didn't feel connected to it because it was you know i had to be accented i spoke mandarin most of the time and i was just like man i'm not a mother you know and i was just like oh I don't know how, but then um, I remember Alan Yang, who was our executive producer. He said to me at the at the auditions, he's like, "I just want you to bring yourself to this. Mm-hmm. I just want you. I don't want you to imitate your mother. I don't want to imitate anything. I just want you to live this part out." That I remember when I heard that, it just released me mm-hmm. from trying to be anything outside of myself. You know. And I appreciate that with Z too. Like I met his mother, but there was no pressure to imitate her in any way, mm-hmm. because even even with um, what they said about the 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 writing of it, like you know, his mom loves to karaoke, but it wasn't like she karaokeed on a boat or anything. Sure, it's not a one to one. It's not a hundred percent one to one. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But her mom, his mom, does love to karaoke. Um, <laughs> but you know, so I think there was some of that that felt like liberating to be to that the creative uh, team let me just be myself let's, that. let's talk about that karaoke moment for a little bit because it, i mean obviously yeah. you come from a musical theater background um but it's such like a powerful emotional i mean first of all i'm sure you're a better singer than the character of i so you have to hold yourself back in some ways but still uh, hit the emotional beats of it. And the whole episode kind of hinges on this montage and this memories that are flooding while she's doing this. Yeah. Um, what is it, what is it like acting that and trying to find exactly and calibrate the performance in that way? First of all, I was also terrified because that was not part of my audition. I was like, what would have happened if I couldn't sing? You know, and he was like, oh, we figured it out. <laughs> and, and, I remember they gave me the song and the key that it was, it was like way higher. I would be just be belting it, like Broadway belting. I was like, that doesn't feel like the character. Yeah. So I had to bring it down and everything. And I remember that was the last scene we shot for the entire uh, show. Mm-hmm. I was so exhausted. We were like three or four weeks into shooting and I'm on in every single scene. So it was like nonstop. I was, it was, my hours were long. Mm-hmm. 
And I just remember being exhausted and needing to do that song over and over and over again. And just like in between, just sitting there and Z coming by and just giving me a pat <laughs> on the back. And like, it's great, it's great. And just having to cry and go through that emotional thing. It's just, it had, it, it needed a lot of like, just, I think maybe tiredness did help. You know, when you're just emotionally sure. raw already, it's just like, here we go. And it's the last thing. So it's like the big hurrah, the big goodbye to this whole mm-hmm. set and everybody. And yeah, it, it was, it was, it was lovely. <laughs> That's amazing. Memorable. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about right now you were on uh, Law and Order Organized Crime, which yeah. Law and Order historically has not been like one of my shows. I know it's comfort viewing for a lot of people. People love it. Uh, I did watch the two episodes that you've appeared in so far and I, I get it. Like, it's like, oh, this is addicting. This is like really solid. I can see why people like this. Um, yeah. I was raised on SVU. So oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. It was such a dream to work with Chris Maloney. I was like, oh, I, I, he seems, it's so interesting. Cause he's such, I, I, I've watched so little Law and Order that I know him most from like What Hot American Summer or like one episode he did of Scrubs or something like that. So like, I love that. It's, but it's so cool because that is like his franchise and his thing. And Law and Order is such an established juggernaut on television. What was it like trying to slip mm-hmm. into something that is, you know, I guess that iconic? Was it like joining that kind of world? Okay, can I tell you the story that like my first day was so last minute they told me on a monday night that i had to fly out the next morning to get there and i was like okay and then or not the next morning the next afternoon because i had all this stuff planned in the morning so i could only fly out in the afternoon and then i flew out right before i got on the plane i got the script and it was completely rewritten so it seems that i the scene i and then they were like oh by the way also you're shooting tomorrow at 6 a.m and I was like, wait a second, I'm not even there yet. What? And I got in at like midnight and I I was still trying to memorize the scene that I was, I was supposed to shoot the next day that I had, didn't have in my audition. I had to take a COVID test. So that made me stay up until like 2 a.m. I didn't sleep until 3 a.m. I was up at 6 a.m. for a costume fitting. Three hours later, I'm in on set, 60 extras, gigantic ballroom. All the series regulars are with me on this scene. I was like... <gasps> I didn't even have time to feel scared. Mm-hmm. I was just like, know your lines, know your lines. <laughs> and even then it was so difficult because I was so sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. And thank God for the amazing cast and the amazing director that I had who was so kind. And so like, girl, I have been there because she used to be an actor as well on Law & Order. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, I know where you're at. You're doing great. Don't worry about it. Don't worry if you mess up a line. It's fine. Just keep going. And I was like, I love all of you. It was just so supportive. And even Chris, I remember looking at him one time. I was like, I'm so sorry. He was just like, no, no, you're fine. You're more than fine. You're great. Do it. I was like, okay. But I was tired. I was exhausted. And it was a long day of shooting. I think that scene took like six hours or seven hours to shoot. It was a long day. I don't want to break the fourth wall too much, but we did have a little conversation before we started this yeah, episode recording. Totally. And you did mention that Chris uh, was kind enough that your mother-in-law is a huge fan of his and he managed and you, well, tell me what he did. Uh, Cause after you told him that. He just, he made a video for her and he like took pictures with me to send her and 
he did a video of her uh gosh can i even show it i can show it you can show it it's there's a video element to this podcast if you can find it sure yeah it was so great and there it is um let me make sure that it's queued up okay That's so cute. It's so nice that he did that. I know. And he's just, he's honestly, gosh, to work with a pro like him who knows the show so well because he's lived it for, you know, a, over a decade. To, hear, to, to see how he even hears the script, to see how he cares about like all the guest stars that come in. He cares about the direction that the, the blocking the guest stars are getting because he cares, oh, it's it doesn't motivate that guest star's line. He's mm -hmm. like, he cares about other people besides what he's doing. He's just such a generous, generous actor. I guess if he's not a diva, going back to what we talked about at the beginning, I won't be either. I will try to, <laughs> if he's earned, if anybody's earned diva status, it's probably him and he doesn't do it. So let me, let me rethink the way I think about my life. You know, there was one day where I actually asked him, I was like, cause I, I wondered, cause I, I thought that a guest star was maybe a little nervous around him. And I was like, do you ever notice that you're just like intimidating people? Like I could see the guest star just like literally quivering. Like everything was quivering. Yeah. And, and I, he was like, He's like, you think it's because of me? I was like, yes, it's because of you. <laughs> he's like, gosh, I just, I just forget that sometimes. Like, he said that he always thinks of himself as that out of work actor that's mm. just still like working to, to, to be on a show. And he just that that those times has, have traumatized him so much that he's always still the out of work actor. Wow. And I love that for how successful he is. He's yeah. incredibly humble. Yeah. We have less than two minutes left, so oh. I know it's not enough time, but I want to, so with this time, before we get into like some deeper questions where I get to know you at an even deeper emotional level, I yeah. do want to give you this opportunity. What do you want to, do you have anything that you want to plug right now? Is there somewhere oh. people can follow you on the social medias, anything like that? If you want to, it's like at AngelaLynn.com as in D-O-T-C-O-M. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, watch Law and Order, Organized Crime tomorrow. Watch Law and Order, Organized Crime. Yeah. And then uh, this will air next week. So it'll already have aired. So watch it on Peacock. Oh, yeah, really? yeah. Uh, and, um, and watch the uh, watch your episode of Little America. Yeah. Which the title of it, I'm trying to remember. I have it written down. The Grand Prize Expo winners from season one. Definitely watch that. Angela, we have one minute left. Um <laughs> When you do pass away from this world, as uh, we all eventually Ooh. do, what do you want people to say about you? Oh, dear God. That, that I, ma I made an impact on their lives. You know, hmm. that I laughed, that I gave them something, that I, I don't know. That, oh, she said this to me once, and it really, it really was something I needed to hear. It really changed the trajectory or whatever. I saw her in this and it really made me see this differently, da, 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 you know? If you could know your future, but couldn't change it, would you want to, or would you rather not know? Ooh. The type A personality that I have, I would want to know. And I would, I just want to know, but I probably shouldn't know. And that's probably best. 
If you could live forever, would you want to? Not the way this world is going. <laughs> Your meeting has ended. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to 39 Minute Conversations, hosted and produced by Brian T. Arnold. Music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tune in for new episodes and don't forget to rate and review. If you didn't like what you heard, please don't do any of that. That's okay too. Thank you and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.